Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast brought to you by bet.co.za. Thank you for listening wherever you listen to your podcast. Please subscribe and drop us a like or a five-star rating and share this podcast with the rugby world. Please also visit bet.co.za, our proud sponsors for the deals and the markets that they have for the rugby championship. And also they have a great competition where you can win two tickets for the Springboks vs. All Blacks test match at Ellis Park. My name is Tala. I am joined today by Sean and Jared um, for this Rugby Bits podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the first round of the Rugby Championship. We'll, of course, focus on the Springboks' well-deserved victory over New Zealand. And as Jared said on Twitter, we will not call New Zealand the All Blacks, at least until they fix some of the basic mistakes that they were making in the first test. But as always, let's start with our first phase. And today's first phase is talking about our second favorite rugby team, like our guilty pleasure team that we watch apart from our actual national team and why that is. So before I go to Twitter to talk about the response that we got from the Rugby Bits um, Twitter page, Jared, can you tell us what your second favorite rugby team is at the moment? Yeah, how's it, Tyler? It's uh, great to be this upbeat and happy after playing against the All Blacks. Hey? I'll just put that out there first. But uh, yeah, <laughs> to dive straight in, um, I think my second team is Argentina. And it's a very left field pick um, from what I saw on Twitter in the responses. And it's just purely because they so, um, like, they know who they are and they play to how they are. Like, they very physical, like the box but they also love to have like a little bit of razzle-dazzle. And yeah, also just like they're very South African in that. And uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoy that about them. They're quite a passionate team and they're just great to watch, even if you just jump in on for the um, anthems to see them sing the anthem. No, they've definitely got the prize for the most passionate anthem always. Um, they, they will always turn up, especially when they're at home. I'm not sure if it's Argentina or Wales that is the most like the Springboks, but I think Argentina's, if if not top, very close close to that um, mark. Sean, what's your um, second favorite team at the moment? Hi, Tala and all the listeners. It's uh, it's great to be back on a on a, a great after a great weekend of rugby. Oh, this first phase was 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 a great one. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but uh, got equally nervous because I'm going to have to now openly declare that my my second favorite side of the Wallabies. <laughs> I absolutely At least it's not England. <laughs> oh, mate, I, I think I think England and and Australia sit comfortably in the most hated category of South African fans. So yeah, I, I'm going to get the same amount of heat just from a different group of people, I reckon. But yeah, I, I love the Wallabies. You know, ever since forever, they have always had someone that is arguably one of the best players in the world at the moment in their side, <laughs> somewhere along the line. They, they, they're not always winning. They, they, win a, they win a lot, but they've obviously been taken to the cleaners by the All Blacks a couple of times, but there's always a great fight there. And because of us being always involved in obviously the Tri-Nations in the past, but now the Rugby Championship. We've always played against them. with a lot of respect for them. We've had to help them out against the All Blacks when we've beaten the All Blacks and vice versa. You know, we've asked for favours and we've dealt them a couple of proper hidings and, and likewise, they've dealt us a couple of proper ones. So I'm going to have to go with Australia and it's a great place to go visit and have a few beers too. 
Sean, I think uh, your opinion is a bit skewed on that because of uh, Matt Guido and uh, Quay Cooper and Adam Ashley Cooper and Drew Mitchell. You just love those boys, so I think yeah. that's where I think that's where that comes in. Ah, <laughs> oh, Swoop is an absolute legend. Ghetto, yes, um, <laughs> love it. And and I mean, I mean Julian Huxley back in the day. Um, Matt, um, oh, why well, escapes me? The league convert played fifteen for the Wallabies. Matt Rogers. Um, Rogers, what a legend! I was very fortunate enough to have a beer with him once. He was speaking underwater Swahili, but maybe that's why I got to have the beer with him. But absolute, uh, <laughs> like good, good bunch of guys. I actually just, if I may, just share a quick story. Um, you know, I am um, I back in long time ago I used to work at a bar called Le Med in Cape Town, which was quite a, a popular Sunday watering hole. And the Aussie sides for Super Rugby always used to spend time in Cape Town, most of the, as more as much as possible, and then fly out on like the Thursday to go play other games. And the one year I was working there, the the Brumbies and the Waratahs were both uh, at La Med on the Sunday, or uh, yeah, it was on the Sunday, and and that was when the Brumbies and the Waratahs were both buying out for like the top position, and they had most of the Wallabies in in that in those two sides and. There was obviously like a lot of rivalry. There was a lot of Stormers there. Uh, Stormers boys were there that day. They'd actually just beaten um, the Waratahs that weekend, if I'm not mistaken. So it was quite a nice little mixing, blend mixing pot. But towards the end of the night, there was still quite a lot of the Aussie players still there. And um, I remember one of the doormen, um, you know, I just saw this might just not end up nice. The guys had just been drinking. They weren't causing any trouble. They just Everyone was just having a good time. But that probably overstayed their welcome and there was a big group of them and there wasn't many um, other people there. And I'll, I'll never forget the, the doorman had words with someone and, um, and George Gregan went up to him and just chatted to him. And it was a Waratah, that, a couple of Waratahs guys that, George, that the doorman was talking to. And George Gregan obviously uh, being with the Brumbies. And, uh, but he was a Wallaby captain at the time. And uh, the doorman just said to him, listen, it's time you guys leave. George Gregan stood up on a table, whistled and said, right, boys, time to go. Every single player from each, from all the sides just literally put their drink down, stood up, and walked towards the door. It was unbelievable respect for, for him. I, it was like you expected guys to have a down-down or, or chirp him or anything, but they all just basically, literally, as, as he made the call, put their drinks down, stepped up, and everyone just head toward the exit. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's like dogs, that you have a group of dogs and the little Jack Russell's the leader of the pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know that the Jack Russell's got the, got the big boy's ear as well. So then if they step out of line, there's going to be repercussions in some way, shape or form. No, that's fantastic. I think I, I can see Faf de Klaak doing the same thing for the Springboks if that ever happened. Just to go on to um, our, <clears throat> our followers on Rugby Blitz, which, are, which we call the Dirt Trackers. Um, that's the name for our group um, of fans. So we call them the Dirt Trackers. And some responses from them. Um, the couch referee also agrees with Sean in that Australia's the, his second team. They've got a lot of young, exciting players coming through, and they obviously are hosting the 2027 World Cup. We've got some support from uh, Martin Prinsler and um, from Matt Bryan for Japan, the Brave Blossoms. Of course, their underdog story in the last seven or eight years has been quite astonishing. Ask a South African about 2015. Um, of course, there's a lot of support for France, myself included. Of course, there's, there's a lot to like about France. Uh, they're, of course, going to host the World Cup. 
so they 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 it's a, it's one that people people like and then the types of players that they have and the exciting players there's also a lot of support for Ireland um Andre Giel talks about Ireland and how they're almost the opposite um in style to to what the Springboks have in terms of them how they use their attack and how they and how they go about playing and um of course you don't have to guess too many times and if you want to know what Cook's um, second favorite team, and that's, yeah, I think that that should even go without saying. Sean, Tala, are you sure that with all those those Ireland teams being notified or coming through, is it not one of them from Jared's burner account? <laughs> uh, no, I, I only support Lancey. You must remember, it's uh, Josh van der Fleer. I'm just I'm oh, just okay. there to support Josh van der Fleer. That's all. He happens to be one of the best players in Ireland too. So I'm pretty sure you've used one or maybe all your burner accounts to, to pick Ireland, surely. <laughs> if CJ Stunder was still knocking around, then probably, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to yeah, take I it see- this time. <laughs> yeah, I see uh, at Jared with two R's saying Ireland here. So that, that must be him. Come on, you have to give me a bit more credit than that. <laughs> <laughs> Jer, Jer, he didn't. He wasn't having the most inspirational day when he had to pick that burner name on his account. There, he's like, "Oh, I'm just going to go with the first Twitter suggestion." Go. No way. Yeah, and then I think the best response to this one was from Luke Warren, who said, "Tough one. I hate them all equally." So I think that probably sums up some types of rugby fans about when they're talking about their second favorite teams. But let's go into our recap of the first rugby championship test between the Springboks and the, uh, New Zealand, sorry, in, in Bombella. It seemed like, I mean, just to talk about the fans, it, it just seemed raucous um, in, in, in Bombella that on, on Saturday, you could barely hear, hear the, the commentators. I was watching the game back and it, it just was so, it, the, the crowd was so loud the whole time and they were just up for it the whole time. Like sometimes, you know, Springbok fans can sort of go into a few lulls, especially if the team's not scoring or not necessarily doing well. But even when the Springboks had a few quiet moments, they were just pushing them on. So clearly they want to host as many test matches as possible. And I'm sure this performance will make sure that their permanent fixtures on, 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 the, on the fixture list for, for, for future matches. And but yeah, the Springboks won twenty six ten. It is, I think, the fourth biggest defeat that the All Blacks have had in their history. Um, I think three of those five or three of the top five um, have happened now in the last two years. So that's obviously a worrying statistic for the New Zealanders. But let's start with the South Africans. And Jared, I'll start this with you, just to look back in history as well, in sort of the last twenty or so years. Is this the best victory that South Africa's had over New Zealand, just in terms of just how comprehensive it is? Not necessarily about like, okay, obviously 1995, we won a World Cup and all that sort of stuff, but just in terms of performance from first minute to the 80th, this probably ranks, ranks right up there. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I, I was trying to think on Saturday, when was the last time that uh, it was 20 minutes into a Springbok All Black game and I just knew that there was no ways that the All Blacks were going to beat us in this one. Like, there's always been that like hints of doubt. Even um, even when we beat them uh, the first time under Rassi, like I, I thought we could do it, but I wasn't too sure if we would or not. And yeah, I, I really can't remember. I think um, the other, only other time that I could come up was up with was that uh, game where Mornestein, I think he scored 33 points and we beat them 33-31. 
that was the only other time where I thought, okay, no, we should beat the All Blacks today. But that was nowhere near as comprehensive as it was this week. And yeah, it's it was mind blowing. It was great, and uh, I'm still buzzing a bit from it. And yeah, it's what over 48 hours later, almost. Yeah, I think only the 2009 test would probably rival um, this in terms of performance. I'd, yeah, I'd probably also give that that test match an, an edge, especially just how we able to neutralize the All Blacks. And I think also the, that 2009 team, even though they had a big transition after that um, after that year, that team was probably better than this current set of of New Zealanders. But we'll talk about that later. Sean, let's let's start with I think what oh. Jerry, you, you want to add Yeah, I, I, I think the only problem with that New Zealand team is that they didn't have uh, Carter, if I remember correctly. But the rest of that team was uh, far better than this side. Like, this team has Audi Sevilla and Bowden Barrett at the moment. That's sort of how it feels. Yeah, and they're pretty much caring for everyone else. Sure, let's start with probably the most impressive part of the game, which was our defense. And I think the Springboks have kind of relaxed the rush defense in the last... Um, few months especially in the wales test series it wasn't as aggressive it was more just managing um the the attack instead of just being up up all out aggressive so i think there was a difference there but in this test they turned it up and they just gave the new zealanders absolutely no time or space and of course probably one of the captains of the defense apart from um france malarba close up is lucanio um and just how he was managing just stopping Bowden barrett from passing out wide. So Bowden Barrett had 16 carries, which was the most carries for any New Zealander on Saturday, which showed that he just had no options in terms of distributing the ball. Um, yeah, talk about just how what you saw from the defense on Saturday. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer. I, I thought that aspect of our defense was good, and I thought that we were more aggressive. But from very early, and I'm very surprised the All Blacks didn't exploit it more, that inside pass of 10 was exposing us and um uh, that that bothered me it bothered me because you know conceding conceding a line break um that that narrow from a ruck is um is a huge concern to kind of fix as a as a defensive side um when you need to scramble and stuff so so in terms of what we did and how we stepped up the intensity and our intent for what we were doing defensively. I thought it was great. And I thought it was a calculated decision by the coaches and obviously the side to see what the All Blacks will, I'm sorry, what New Zealand will bring um, and how they will try and unlock it. And we got those answers. That inside ball was an issue. We did struggle defensively in terms of tackles missed. We, um, we only tackled at, what, 79%. So we missed 25 of our, of our tackles. And New Zealand um, only missed nine. So those were a bit of a concern. And I think that the defensively, we scrambled well in the last 20 to 30 minutes, but I thought we were very, very tired. Um, but we scrambled well. So there's another great bonus about our defense. Like our scrambled defense has always been very good. And since Jacques Minaba and uh, was involved with that, and now head coach and obviously involved, but under Rassi and now when Jacques head coach, is our scramble defense has been excellent. And uh, it is something that has become an, an added asset to us. Um, and, uh, and, and it's something that I, I don't know how they train us or what they do, but we really, really are good at it. Like we really do um, rate ourselves like when, when we have to turn is getting back in position quicker. We've got good oaks to make 
good decisions on in, in that space. So in all, I would give um, our, our defensive um, a fairly good tick. However, there are those concerns that I mentioned we definitely need to clean up. Yeah, I think, Sean, that's actually very interesting because this really pulls me back to like 2018, 2019. And I think if we, obviously, if Rugby Bits was existing back then, we'd probably say something pretty similar about the Springbok defense after that win in Wellington. So if you remember in 2018, our defense was very aggressive in terms of just line speed and just trying to get um, ball in man. Um, and as we saw on, on, on Saturday, this was probably to Faftaklak's um, detriment in terms of his concussion. But it conceded a lot of missed tackles. But that was almost part of the design that they would give you certain gaps, maybe including like the inside ball, and say, sure, you can take that gap if you want to because we're going to close you off on the outside and then we'll back our, um, our, our, our scramble defense in order to get, get to you if, if someone does make a line break. So it's like, I remember that there was an article that said that at the time, just before I think the World Cup, that our tackle completion percentage was in the 80s and had a lot of like missed tackles. But we still didn't concede that many tries. And it was the only times we did concede tries was because of maybe like the wings mistiming the, the, the rush or not getting ball in man and that sort of stuff. Especially if you remember with um, Small Gorsi and Apu and Yanki when, and Magazuma Bimbi when they started in the Springbok setup and they were getting their timing correct. So I, I, although it concerns me, I, I agree with you. And I would, of course, probably prefer more conservative type of defense. I'm sort of having a bit of day job vu thinking maybe this is a little bit by design. Of course, I don't think the Springboks or Jacques Mina would ever accept missing 21 tackles on, on purpose. But I do think there's a, a part of it that it's, that's about, you know what, let's just actually, like, we're giving them certain spaces and making them play in a certain way in order to take away the threats that they have. And, um, but I, I also just want to say I agree with you about just late in the second half, it did seem like there, there was just a bit of a drop in quality of the defense. And you could just see it with like, you know, Mostad taking the, P, the Peter Steff role of basically going and shooting up on the fly half. Mostad is just maybe a half step slower than Peter Steff. Um, in the inside track or the inside line with the likes of um, Vincent Koch um, taking the place where um, Franz Malabar is and he's maybe slipping off a tackle or two or um, that maybe um, that maybe um, Malabar would have. So I do agree about maybe how it happened in the second half. Yeah, and it's it, uh, like I don't have an issue with those with because we generally are missing tackles from the guys shooting, which are our two wingers and, and our nine. So we had um, two out of the three of those positions were new guys today uh, on Saturday. So I get that. However, we de we definitely miss more than than usual. And of a bigger concern are the is not covering that that inside ball. Um, it's a massive massive concern. Ironically, um, um, is the one was uh, Malcolm Marks lined up someone, Adi Savir, and absolutely rinsed him but it wasn't his man, but he had just lined him up so perfectly that he committed and followed through. And there was a, an, an inside gap there. The other thing, which is quite interesting. Um, so just on that too, just to reinforce that. And I agree with you, Tala, and it's something that I've been shouting about for a long time in terms of when we shoot up, if we miss a tackle, when we eventually do cover and make the tackle, they don't make that vantage line. But the, the all black, the New Zealanders only made three clean breaks and we only made three. So they didn't make a massive amount of clean breaks, even though we, we had what, like 
for 16 more missed tackles than they did. Um, but one thing they did do is they beat a hell of a lot more defenders than we did. And that's obviously cutting back. And a lot of it came through from that Bowden Barrett um, break um, off the kick where we really were poor. Uh, we didn't come up in a line. Like we were so disjointed. But the uh, New Zealand beat 25 defenders on the day, which is massive. You'd expect them to get more, more love out of that uh, in the past than what they did on Saturday. I think uh, one of the best ways to put the Springbok defense is that it will bend, but it won't break. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. And is that, okay, you can beat us. Break you can beat me one You can beat me one-on-one, but somebody's going to be on my inside to smash a shit out of you. Like, that's just how the box operate. Like, even um, there was a, a, a play down um, Orange's wing and uh, Caleb Clark came charging at him and Clark, like, bumped him off, but he stayed in the fight to get there and then all of a sudden um comes and takes him out like that's the perfect way to encapsulate the book defense is that i've got uh, it's sort of i've got your back and you know that your inside man or the man outside you has got your back and you will get the you will stop the attack kind of thing yeah those 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 where the wingers shooting the outside guys shooting are, are really not a problem for me because those missed tackles are like half tackles slowing down people. Um, and we, we come across, like the midfield is always coming across there. Um, it is, it's basically a copy and paste 2019, 2018, 2019 conversation all over again. That's not what I'm trying to get at. I just think, I, I thought our defense, the idea of what we wanted on defense and how aggressive we were, which was very clear about how they had to cut in all the time was great. But we definitely exposed other spaces that we need to fix. That inside ball for one is 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 a huge issue for me. Great thing about it is, is it's a really easy fix. Yeah, I think as as Jared's point made it about the inside man and trusting inside man. That's probably as Sean mentioned about Malcolm Marks. I think he yeah he said he nailed Audi Sevier. That that was all because he maybe didn't maybe he saw the tackle more so than not trusting, but he just saw that tackle. But Quaker Smith had that, had that covered, and there was no need for him to go. And make that 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 big hit, and then he wasn't where he was supposed to be for Walt Jordan when Adi Sevier delivered that inside pass. But yeah, that is at least, yeah, that is at least a work on that the Springboks have for for next week in terms of closing that down. Let's talk about some of the individual performances, and before we talk about who probably impressed us the most, I think there's definitely a category of players that probably showed or continuing to show that they are test match level that they can. Um, duke it out with the best of the best. Um, especially when you talk about Jasper Visa, um, Jaden Hendrickson, Damien Willemson. They've all three of them have been in the Springbok setup for a, for a little bit. Jaden Hendrickson, obviously less so, but now they're starting to feel like no, they they have to be at least in and around the match twenty three, and they have to be um, a part of um, the, the the plans for when the Springboks pick their best teams. And all three of them are either replacing or filling in for or have maybe even um, um, taken over the position from three experienced players in Dwayne Vermeulen, Tafta Clark, and Vili LaRue. From those three, um, you know, who do you see is taking that sort of step up and, and, and saying, look, I'm a test player. I should be definitely in the reckoning for um, in, in, to be in the Springbok 15 or at the very worst if Dwayne or Faf or whoever comes back um, into fitness or form or whatever. I should be the Test Match 23. Um, who of those three have, has impressed you the most? Well, uh, I think Jaden Hendrickson and um, Damien Willems, they're both. 
um, uh, and Visser. <laughs> uh, if you if you look at the guys that played this weekend um, that were possibly on the fringes, every single one of them um, uh, had a good game. No one had a bad game. Uh, I I do want to say um, I really 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 was looking forward to seeing Puff play because I wanted to see what the pressure of his kicking and everything. Um, the pressure of his performance would have brought out in him because he would have had to have had a good game um, because of Hendricks has been kicking so well. So the thing is, is we're actually not really losing a hell of a lot. Though. We're losing experience. But in terms of execution, we seem to be okay at the moment. Um, but I, there's no, no one that is on the fringe uh, has, has warranted being dropped in any way, shape, or form and are most certainly next in line to take over. And every single one of the guys that are, were on the fringe that have been performing, if they start, no one ha- will have an issue with them. So, you know, there's, we're in a great place. Like there's such a great upward trajectory by all these players. Um, the Springbok environment at the moment is just flipping incredible. Like, well, whatever they're drinking, just bottle it and, and keep it in house and just keep feeding it to everyone. <laughs> no, and I think, it's it's just a it's a credit to Jacques Nienaub and, and the team for obviously identifying those three players as you know they're the ones that are next in line, especially with like Visa and Hendricks, uh, that there were other players that were um, staking their claims in, in like domestic rugby, you know, like Evan Ruiz or Grant Williams or whoever, just saying, look, I'm I'm maybe they those players are more in form, but even with Damien Williams actually to an extent with them um, fullback, but they stuck with those players, they've identified them since even last year. And now that they've been put in a position where either through injury or whatever, they've been put in, in, put in the starting team, they've proved themselves at least in the last two or three test matches against um, either Wales or New Zealand, and they've done really well. And they, I think all three of them were near the top of our um, best players uh, on Saturday. Sean, let's talk about other impressive performances. Who really impressed you on Saturday? Um, obviously, it's a no-brainer that Malcolm Marks had, had a great game. I thought. Damien Willemster, Kirtley Arendtser were all in with the, with the shots of man of the match. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there were a lot of questions about um, uh, Trevor Nyakane starting at Lucid, Ox dropping out of, the, out of the match day 23. And I thought that Trevor Nyakane made, uh, had a great game. It started France Malherber. And for those that are listening, um, we can ask Jared to share it again. Um, but like Jared shows some, some uh, gifts and, and uh, on Twitter on the tackles and the work rate that Malherba gets to. But Nyakane is involved in that too. They are, they, the guys, the front row, I believe, and I, I'm, South African fans need to get into the space where they've got to take a step back and have a look at what Jacques Ninaba is doing because he there's bigger picture for everything he does. We, no one really understood why Nyakane started and Ox didn't. And I watched the game on Saturday. I haven't even had a chance to watch it a second time. I've just been reading all the information and, and stuff that's coming out. But the whole reason why Nyakane started with Malherba was to be those guys, those, those tackle beasts, those ruck guys, those, those machines at, at the breakdown um, to free up Marks to just cherry pick when he wanted to do, to do what he needed to do. 
that's that's honestly how I see that. Where uh, Ox is a slightly looser um, prop in the open play. So we getting to a stage that the the All Blacks used to have a saying uh, way back. Um, uh, it was called soldier in, soldier out, um, where guys on the bench and guys playing in the squad and whatever they were. It was not it was not substitutions. They were it was soldier in, soldier out. A guy goes off the field, another guy comes on. He's equally as good. He's got to have the same mentality. It's not you're on the bench, you are second string. South African fans also need to get over that, especially when it comes to our pack and our front row. Like we we've got we've got soldier in, soldier out in almost every single position on the field. And you know, we, we there are decisions, there are little puzzle pieces being put together and in different games, different games where we were more expansive. We were kicking um, crossfield kicks more against the All Blacks. We were rushing more. You know, we're starting to add a whole bunch of arrows to the quiver. And uh, it's all going to come together. Uh, we at- seem we attack a little bit more, attacked a bit more freely. We, we definitely were trying new things. Um, you know, we, we're, in a, we're in a really, really good space. And so, like, I thought everyone had a good game. I, I think the, the only way to really highlight is, is maybe to, in a, not in a negative way, but to highlight kind of what went wrong and some mistakes. Uh, you know, Marks missed one line-out. Umbanambidi um, missed one line-out. Those are probably the only two errors and possibly that read on defense by Marks, but, like, minor errors. The, the props... We conceded one scrum penalty off an all-black ball. Other than that, we were fine at scrum time. Um, you know, uh, Pollard missed an early kick uh, to touch. Other than that, you know, we, you know, we had a couple of the guys miss a, miss, a, miss a tackle that led to the Caleb Clark break. But those are minor, minor things. And our guys together pulled together as a whole really well. The man of the match definitely deserved it. I thought Damien Villains and Kirtley Arnott were really, really close by. And Lukanya, I'm probably next in running or equally as good. And that's just purely from a rugby purist point of view. And then, Jared, from your side, which of the players impressed you the most? Yeah, I, I think we have to talk about Malcolm Marks. Um, to play your 50th test match and produce a performance like that was just incredible. Like, yeah, it used to be a bad omen when guys were hitting 50 and 100 test caps and yeah, normally a time when the box have, uh, haven't risen to the occasion and uh, he definitely did. I mean, Opta came out with a stat today that uh, he won five turnovers, which is um, the joint most in a rugby championship match with uh, David Pocock doing the same. And uh, I went and had a look at it and Pocock actually lost by like a good 33 points or something against the All Blacks when he did it in 2016. So it was nice for the Bucks to get up on top and make the most of that. And uh, yeah, um, also considering that he only played, what, 55, 59 minutes and he got those five turnovers. That's a turnover every 10 minutes and most guys are lucky if they get one turnover a game. So yeah. Great ups to him. He carried strongly as well, tackled hard, and yeah, it was just the one hiccup at the lineout, I think. Um, so yeah, he was he was exceptional. I thought he was really, really great. Um, uh, yeah, we spoke about France Malherba as well. Like he's very underrated most of the time, and uh, even though he rates him so highly, he's sort of underrated how much uh, how much he actually brings to the squad. So yeah, um, 
and then unfortunately, Kirtley Orange uh, getting the red card in the the last min- the last few minutes of the game. It was actually quite a sad thing. Um, now that he's been uh, suspended for four weeks, like it's the right decision and everything, but uh, he was really making the most of his opportunity. And uh, yeah, it's quite sad that we're not going to see him maybe until uh, November twelfth, possibly. Yeah, I think with Kirtley Orange, like just watching, I had a chance to watch the game today. His his defense on that right wing was fantastic. And it wasn't through a lack of trying. Caleb Clark was doing his best to either get around him or get over him. But he was always, he always like was the, was, was the man that was able to stop him. He was always able to either slow him down so that other people can come in and, and finish up the tackle as well. And his kick chase has been really good, apart from the two mistakes that he made. Obviously, one for the red card. And then the other with um, Jordi Barrett, where he possibly could have conceded a yellow card because, or even a penalty at the very least, um, when he chased and, and sort of got um, a bit too over-eager. So that's probably the only work on for his game. It's just, you know, sometimes just, yeah, take take a little bit of a, a, a chill pull and not sort of overshoot yourself when you're chasing or something like that. But, you know, that's expected from someone that's um, on debut. His... I mean, we know Lukanya Am's um, try, I mean, pass was brilliant for the try, but his running line, um, Arons and his anticipation that Am could actually get that ball to him, I think was also world class. And I think it's something that we should talk about, that he really picked a, a great line for in order to complete that try. His kick chase, as we said, was amazing. He had that one clearance kick, which was a great clearance kick, but but for the fact that it was carried over from the from outside the 22. But... He, he was able to get like 30, 40 meters from that. And, you know, you could see the fact that he does play fullback. He has that um, ability to cover the space like a fullback does. But his ability to get around, I mean, not that the All Blacks were trying too hard to, to do escort lines and all that sort of stuff for kick chase, but he gave Caleb Clark so many problems in the air. And Caleb Clark must have been so irritated because he probably, like when he was showering, like after the game, he could just still smell Kirtley Arden's and whatever. Um, deodorant that he uses, like he was just on him the whole thing, the whole game. Yeah, uh, sorry, I I do want to say we were talking about Kirtley Aronson, and, and he was just kind of over eager, and that's why those two errors came in because that that first one I was also a little I was like very surprised that he didn't concede the yellow card, but a, a, a penalty, sorry, should I say for the first one, I didn't have enough to look enough looks at it to see whether there was a card or not, but I think. Fafta Clack and Kirtley Aronson must have been sitting together on the bus at breakfast in the morning on the bus and then next to each other in the changing room because they both came out absolutely frothing for that game. <laughs> they were ridiculous. Yeah, I think they definitely were. I, I, I was so impressed with the wings. And Mopipi didn't have the most, uh, the, the biggest like breaks or like made like big runs, but just his ability to be just a nuisance in the kick chase was was amazing. and. Will Jordan, obviously, he's probably, or he's been, like, for the past year, the, the, one of the best back three, if not the best back three player in the world. And he looked absolutely ordinary on, on Saturday. I'm actually quite worried that maybe the All Black, the, the Doug Howlett curse has really started on Will Jordan, um, just just as we thought he was going to be immune to it. Yeah, Jasper Visser getting involved there. That tap tackle, hey, was mm. um, insane. Like, I, I, I was saying to one of my mates after the game that... Uh, if if Will Jordan breaks through there, there's like a 95% chance that he scores. Like any other winger, I would maybe give them like a 60% chance of scoring from there. But 
being at World Jordan, like there's a 95% chance that the Springboks score from there. And uh, yeah, that was great from Jasper. And when we're talking about guys being a little bit over, over eager, I think uh, that did, uh, Jasper was a bit um, guilty of that as well. There was uh, two occasions where our inside cleaners were just half a second late and he came from the outside to to sort it out and he went straight off his feet and Gardner pinged him both times. So, yeah, I, I think there is a little bit of that cooling period for some of um, some of the players of not getting too over half for the games or um, trying to pr- uh, to throw their body on the line too much for it. But uh, I, I think we're um, dissecting quite... Uh, critically on the Springboks after what was our biggest win in the professional era over them. Yeah, I mean, we need to talk about something, Jared. <laughs> well, we can talk about Lucanio Ump's pass. We can uh, dedicate the rest of the podcast to that. I'm in. I'm in. I saw somebody put on Twitter that uh, he is, it's the most random thing to be the best in the world in, but he's the best player in the world to throw the most ridiculous passes and passes from his back and his ass. Like, that's exactly what he does. Like, it's not the first time we've seen um throw offload um, from the floor like that. It's, it's, it's but, really insane. But, but the thing is, is everything he does, he's just like, okay, I'm just going to go here and do that. And then he, like, cool, done. Like, yeah. what's, what's the big, like, what's, why is everyone like freaking? Like, just chill. That's my job. I'm yeah. here to do this. I'm just gonna go and do it. Like, what, what do you what do you mean? It was a crazy pass. Like, it's just the norm. Uh, what, what do you what yeah. do you mean that I was so amazing to be in that position? Like, did you not expect the ball to be there? Because I did. Like, that's what it is. He's like, yeah, whatever. There was a great tweet. Like, what does he do? Wake up in the morning, put chewing gum in, and just choose to be the best in the world at what he does. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what he does, man. He's just like, otherwise, you will. <laughs> There's that cliche that they say, like, world-class players see the game in slow motion. Like, Lucanio Am just plays the whole game in slow motion. And if there's another player that's seen it in slow motion, he's even playing it in a slower motion, and you can see what that guy's now decided. Like, he looks into Will Jordan's eyes, and he knows exactly what Will Jordan's going to do, and he just does the opposite. I tell you, you know, like, there are people, there, there are people out there that, that would use, like, superpowers for bad. Like, this is, I've got the saying, like, only use your powers for good. But if I could, like, imagine spending 80 minutes of a test match, like, inside Lukanya Arm's brain and just seeing what he sees and, and hearing what he, the decisions, like, imagine. Imagine he could narrate a book game through his own eyes and you could watch it. I mean, that would be freaking ridiculous. I think, I think I'm on to my next business, business idea. <laughs> Everyone needs to sign an NDA. <laughs> Would um, Lukanya, um, I think he could like do an advert. I mean, as we saw on Saturday, Springboks have a ton of bad adverts on TV now. But Lukanya um, has a, definitely has a contract with the Ram or whatever other delivery company. Like just throwing like those parcels behind his back or making ridiculous passes, that would be a fantastic advert. You could literally, you could literally take Lukanya um, as is in his Springbok jersey and insert him into like the Marvel situation. Like he could. Go into any superhero movie and you could be a superhero, mind reading, execution, finding out what's going down. I mean, there's nothing you need to change about the guy. Like, he's a flippin' beast. Yeah, and like I said a little bit earlier, I think just the way that he's able to just close down any defense, attacking threat that the All Blacks had, like, 
anytime that Bowden was thinking, oh, let me connect with my centers, Lukanyam was just like a shadow over there, just, just haunting them. And I think last week we discussed that, oh, maybe Riku Yani would have a bit of an easier time now that he's not playing the Irish system. He's only has Lukanyam to deal with. But I definitely underestimated that only dealing with Lukanyam is almost as difficult, as definitely as difficult as anything that you have to do in rugby. And just the whole time, anytime that, you know, like you could just see sort of the difference in class between the two. I, I forgot that Rico Ioanni was playing for most of the game. Like, I, I, I really did. Yeah, yeah the, like, him too. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I, I don't quite know when my cue is to step in and have this conversation with you guys. Do you, or, or would you like me to start now? Or, I mean, their <laughs> midfield, <laughs> their midfield is, is, is in tatters. And you Oaks were pushing flipping hard for Rico and you even even forced me into a moment of weakness where I was like, yeah, he's playing well. Maybe he's getting better. But the fact of the matter, like he was nowhere, man. The only blind break or anything he did do, he was out wide. But granted, he was playing in the midfield when that happened. But man, man, they're, they're struggling. Uh, like they're struggling. They're str- I think their biggest problem is at 12 at the moment in the back line. But him, but Rico not being... A out and out 13 and someone that can sort of manage things a little bit better has definitely affected them. Yeah, it really feels like the All Blacks or New Zealand are having their um, moments where they play uh, that they had in the past where they play Christian Cullen and Moles in the in the centers and everyone was telling them, no, it's not a great idea, but they just stuck with it and it just never worked out. I, it, really, it really does feel like that. Um, I think that David Havili is actually a good center, but he needs a proper center with him. So he needs a Jack Goodhue, uh, Anton Lennon-Brown, um, even maybe even a Long Mape or something like that. But I, I, I don't see how you can play the two makeshift centers and think that it's just gonna it's just gonna click. And yeah, I, I think they really hurt him that they don't have a, a Leonard Brown or Goodhue in the team. Jared, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on something. Did you just call David Avili a makeshift center? Because if I'm not mistaken, every single one of us, you definitely, and Tyler, I've definitely heard, like I've been banging on the drum about Goodhue at 12 and how he directs things. The, the, the truth of the matter is he's a playmaking 12 and by no means an abrasive 12. But they don't have the blindside flanker to to allow for that. But you, I, I just want you to clarify a bit because you might need to apologize to the guy. Because how can you call him a makeshift center? Well, I mean, he started his. Uh, we played uh, fifteen and twelve, so it's almost like a Damian Willemser situation where he can oh, play no, fifteen no, no. and I can know. play twelve. So makeshift. So I'd call it makeshift. Oh, like it's not an out and out. You can't say that. He's, you've been you've uh, been banging about how he's like one of the best twelves ever. Them. No, not one of the best 12s ever. One of the best 12s in New Zealand at the moment. That's a very big difference. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Cat, yeah he's, he's, the, he's the best, yeah, he's the best option that they have at the moment. That's what that's the that's the thing. Is he's the best uh, choice they I, have at the moment in that midfield. I don't even know not, if that's true right now. No, I, I, I disagree, yeah. but my nonu was in Nelspreit this weekend. Hello. Uh, of like he was <laughs> yeah. literally there. He was literally yeah, there l- on the field. Yeah, lace him up and he can play 12 or 13. It doesn't matter. <laughs> He's just retired. Dead. That's the only thing. <laughs> I promise you, if he had played on the weekend, he very likely would have done 
had a reasonably decent game. Yeah, we also had Brian Banner on the pitch. Uh, now with uh, Aaron, we didn't out, need a winger. Called him. No, I'm saying if uh, with Aaron, <laughs> out, we could just call him up as well. Like I, I think a batter could still get it done. Still looks pretty frisk and uh, but. Yeah, I think if we're taking pot shots at the All Blacks, um, this is the section of the pot now. Like I think just number one with their midfield, they just don't know where they need to be. And look, uh, I. Maybe, yeah, I, I, I can definitely say last year when David Havidi was playing really well against the Wallabies, he looked like, okay, you could play him at 12. He's a good playmaking 12. But then when you started playing against sort of the more physical sides and played against the Box and then um, Ireland and, and France, then you could just see that, oh, no, there's, there's issues here. And this weekend, I think it's just sort of the, 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 the depth of the valley just came there because he just could not catch anything to save his life. And there were just times where he was just mistiming like his his running lines, and he was bumping into Tupaya when he him and Tupaya had to be in the midfield. Like the only thing, the two thing, there were two things that David Havili did well on Saturday. One that almost fifty twenty two, um, where if it wasn't for the um, lineup starting beyond the fifty meter line, he would have actually got it. And two, in the last minute, he delivered a really good floating pass to Ricciani when he was on the wing. Surprise, surprise. And they got a little bit of a mini break from that, but apart from that, like he's just not a he's just not a test twelve. I think we need to sort of lay that to rest. I think he'd be a good, um, just like what Jared said, maybe an impact player. Maybe he should start at fifteen, or not start at fifteen, but he should be like an option at fifteen. But I think he should be like we should. They should not play him at twelve anymore. And if the if New Zealand is trying to save Ian Foster's job, I put some doubt on that because I don't think the effort was there. But I would go with, um, based on the options that they have in the team, I would go with either Tupai or RTS at 12, and then Braden Eno at 13. And look, I'm not the biggest Eno fan, but just whatever that can help them um, just get a bit more solid um, in the midfield. And then put Rico at 11, Jordan 14, or and then, yeah, whatever happens with Jordy Barrett, so then you can sort of work around that as well. But Rico has to go to 11. They have to play either Tupaya or RTS. And RTS is probably, he could also be called a makeshift 12 because he's just restarted playing rugby union now this year. So Tupaya is probably a better option at 12. And then 13, play Braden in or at, at, at the very least, up until Jack Review can come back. The issue the All Blacks have is you, you could honestly, either Havili or Yuani, couldn't, you can get by with them in test, at test level. The problem is, is they, they don't have anyone to own the midfield, either at the inside or outside center position. So you got to have an Anton Leonard Brown at 12 or 13, and you can have either one of the starting midfielders from this weekend. You've got to have a, a good Hugh, and I prefer him at 12, and I know Jerry prefers him at 13, but you've got to have someone there where those guys are going to be running things. And the, like Barrett, Barrett, I mean, Barrett carried so much on the weekend. It was the same issue I had with Willemse at 10 at one stage. He was, he was just carrying too much and just trying to do too much. And Barrett had no support anywhere else. And the guys just didn't, just didn't like support him or take control or something. And I think that's like an experience thing. Add to, they've got no leadership in the midfield uh, on tour with them. You know, they've really got young guys, the guys that are looking up the issue that we've had so many, so, so many, so, for so many years at, uh, in South African level is 
who's the guy that's guiding them? And there's no one. And for me, this weekend, I think you have to start Tuvasa Shep at 12, and he, you have to tell him to play direct. He's got to run and unders mostly, and he's got to set a platform, and you need to have a big ball-carrying blindside flank, and for me, that's Scott Barrett. Um, but that's where the All Blacks were missing. They were missing any platform. The only platform was being made by Bowden Barrett, but then that takes him out of the mix for so much more. And both Havili, Havili's a good kicking and running 12, and Yuani's a, a winger and a great finisher. So they're all looking for out, outside stuff. You know, they're all looking for the gap on the outside, and Lukanya Am was there just killing them, and then when they got past Lukanya Am, and I'm not talking about getting past him, I'm talking about getting the ball away from him, then Kirtley Aronso was there crushing people. So, like, they really struggled, and, and they, had no one, they had no one doing the, work, the actual work in the midfield. I think one of the biggest issues with the All Blacks is that they undervalue physicality at, in test level. Like that's being one of their biggest downfalls under Foster is that they they don't want to pick guys just because they're big and abrasive. Like Akira Yuani is like a bit of a, it sounds bad to say, but he's a bit of a show, show pony. And that's why he does well, like against Australia when Australia's defense wasn't that sharp. Like they just chucked him out in the wild channels and they just saw this big, um, this big blindside running and he sort of shrugged off tackles and you're not going to get away with that against the Springboks. So I, I, I agree. I think they need a bit more physicality in that midfield and bringing RTS in is definitely an option. I think if they have all their players that they had fit this week, they should bring in Richie Mwanga at fly half. They push Bowden back to fullback and you put uh, Jordy Barrett in, in at 12. I think that's definitely an option that they have. And then you play Tupaya or um, Eno at 13. Like, Foster's under a real pump right now, and I think the only way he gets out of it is he has to be brave in his selections, and it goes two ways. He either needs to stick with the guys that he's got now and hope and be brave and think that they're going to get him out of the slump, but I think that he's better off going full on and making big changes, bring Jordy into the team, put RTS on the bench, and actually give him a good 20, 30 minutes. Shake it up in the pack. Start Barrett and Tupaya, uh, uh, Tupovai. Uh, yeah, that's that. That's the way I see us. Is uh, be brave and yeah. Uh, if they want to, if they want to take on the box, you have to hit the box with some physicality, and they just didn't have any of that this weekend. But I don't. I honestly like this whole like he's got to be brave and everything. Like, what's he? What's he currently playing for? Is he playing for to get a result? And in inverted commas, a, a draw out of the two test series in South Africa, and then he he kind of gets another extension. Or is he like I, I think the writing's on the wall. I I think he's gone. I really do. Like I think to after what happened this weekend, they really looked directionless. And uh, you know, we should have got a bonus point out of that. I have. We yes. should have. We should have put them to like we should have put them down, and we should not have taken our foot off their throat. The thing is, is the, the, the game was, was tight-ish at one stage, even though we were comfortable. But we didn't destroy them on the scoreboard. We destroyed them everywhere else, and they know what happened. I think the writing's on the wall. Like, I, I think he just needs to go out and do something different because, just because, you know, like, let me, like, let me change things up because I, I, I don't see him lasting the rest of the year because there's no way the All Blacks go unbeaten from here on out. 
No, I agree with that. So then uh, what I'm saying is then go for it and be uh, brave and throw out all these selections and try to go out of the job uh, on a high at least, like the last little high kind of thing that you beat the box in South Africa and that's what you can sort of at least say on uh, when he leaves. Because, yeah, I, I don't see it getting any better with the All Blacks either. I agree with you, Sean. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And if we played the way the All Blacks played against us, they would have beaten us by 40, 50 points. Yes, that's true. We would have got... Yeah. We would have, we would have, they would have set a record. That's the one, the one issue I have with Springbok Rugby is we are, not, we are not ruthless. We do not play the 80 minutes and absolutely destroy people. We get... If we are dominating, we, and it didn't happen on Saturday, but sometimes if we're winning 20, 30 nil, like, or, or by 20 or 30 points, like, it all goes to shit because the guys are trying to go on their own. We don't stick to the whole reason how we got into that uh, driving. Exactly. Like, if we played like that against the Graham Henry or Steve Hansen team, we would have lost by 40, 50 points. Easy peasy. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I was going to say that if... Look, it depends on what Ian Foster wants to do. Because you would have thought that after three weeks, they didn't have... Um, obviously, they, we, haven't, we haven't played since um, the July Test Series. That basically two weeks, um, three weeks actually, um, in between the last test and this first test. That there will be a new approach in how they play, and they would maybe change up the selection. Because he's apparently coaching for his job. And he did none of that. I mean, the only new things that they did was the inside pass. And like Sean talked about earlier, that worked pretty well. The selections were, apart from Takiaho coming into the team and Cody Taylor being dropped out of the team, there's nothing that was new. Everything was basically as expected. And they played as you would expect a team that has been playing well for a while just to continue playing badly. So I don't even know if Ian Foster, if, he's, if this is now the match for his job, what he's going to do different because it's going to be out of character now. Like, I mean, he could sort of do last chance saloon vibes with, you know, the RTSs, Hoskins, the Tutu, or, or everyone and throw those people in. But I don't know if that's going to be enough. And to add all of this, to add this into the equation, Bowden and Jordy, Jordy Barrett, they, they might be out of this weekend's test. Um, from what I hear, I don't think Bowden has a serious injury, but I wouldn't be too surprised if he's um, just, um, you know, given a chance to rest this weekend after the, the fall that he took from the Kirkley Adams challenge. And Jordy also came out with, he was limping and holding his ankle. So there's a, there's a chance that both of those players aren't available. Then what do you do after that? Um, yeah, you can go for Richie Monga, who's definitely not been good um, against the rush defense um, when he plays test rugby, who then plays 15. Um, well, Jordan probably had his worst game under the high ball. You, you can't play him at 15 at the moment. Do you go Steven Perafetta? Do you go um, David Havili maybe at the back? I don't know. Like, these are serious questions. And we haven't even touched the, the, the front row where that isn't a mitigated disaster at the moment. George Bauer, yeah, he's... Uh, <laughs> maybe the Squid Rugby video is making me a bit biased, but he's close to one of the worst sort of players in terms of doing his core role as a prop at the moment. Like, He's just ineffective and racking. He's not that good as a scrummager. He's only good when he has the ball in his hand. And like that's not really happening for him at the moment. Agastava was probably sort of the best technical tight head that they have on tour. And he just got torn apart mostly by, by Trevor Nyatane. So there's just so many problems. I'm not sure what they're going to do in the front row. I guess maybe Ethan DeGroote can start um, 
uh, with Terrell Lomax um, because the second half the scrums improved. Sam Kane, I think he really was working hard, but in terms of the attacking plan, when he had to be the link man, his passing was always all over the place or too slow. He either held the ball on for too long and he was crunched, like he was crunched by Sia Polisi, or when he passed, um, it was sort of just beyond the people. So like, for example, with Frizzell, when he dropped that ball, like his pass wasn't, I mean, Frizzell should have caught it, but his pass also wasn't accurate. So he's not probably the player that you need to have if you're going to play this like backdoor passing and play it flat on the line like the All Blacks are trying to do on Saturday. So yeah, there's so many things. I just don't know what Foster can fix. Like if you, if, if the decision also can't be based on Saturday's game because Ian Foster had three weeks to change things and he didn't and there wasn't a, a considerable improvement. Like it should be that regardless of results, there's no reason why Ian Foster has to continue if you weren't like backing him to continue after the the Irish games, like there's nothing that was improved there. So I can't see what improvement is done in a week that will change things. And if anything, maybe the box should actually just give this match up um, and let the New Zealanders win because that will, if they think that solves the issues and they can solve things in a week, then they'll be completely deluded. Salah, so, I touched on that on Twitter today, and I think that's uh, the, definitely the wrong way about going about it. Like, they showed us zero th- sympathy when we had uh, Alistair Kutsia running things and we looked disjointed and all <laughs> over the place. Like, no, I, 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 went, I went to that Durban test where we lost 57-0. Like, I, I, I would love to just be on one of the, the right end of one of those results against the All Blacks. I tell you, you know, and I know Jacques looking down and just shaking his head with massive disappointment at what I'm about to say, but a lot of it reminds me of the Hanukkah Meyer era because he, he, he was very, um, he was very headstrong and, and, um, and stubborn about what he wanted and how he wanted it done. And no matter what happened, very, very little changed. And that's what we're seeing. That's basically what everyone has been saying. Like you've had the chance to make changes, personnel, uh, tactics, stuff like that. It's not working. You need to change something. And uh, Doug and he's dug his heels in. And and the thing is, is and uh, like a lot of South Africa, like I thought this trip to South Africa was the greatest thing for the All Blacks. It would come at an absolutely perfect time. They got away from home. They got away from everyone. They got to spend time in the Kruger and just really enjoy it, focus on their job without the pressure of being at home uh, with all the, the mass of media. I mean, they didn't, they didn't get ripped to shred by the media here, the South African media. I mean, they're, they're loved here. You know, they were, they're respected. And now we like the All Blacks are respected, but they're by no means feared. And we need to absolutely finish them off on Saturday. We need to be tight. We need to take those simple basic steps and just secure and sort out kick accurately and just carry on doing that until the guys just cannot anymore because till their necks are sore from looking up and getting landed on by by spring box as they're taking the ball out of the air yeah look i think i personally think that the spring box that there's an opportunity here to put 40 on them on saturday especially if they're going to continue to play like this and you could see that the all blacks weren't really in it for the fight like jared said earlier you can see pretty much at 20 minutes that mm, actually, you know what, the Springboks have got this and it doesn't seem like the All Blacks will do too much in order to fight back. And I think the last thing I'll say about the New Zealanders was there's a lot of 
walking around. There was a lot of sort of just trotting back into position. There wasn't really a desperation that, oh, we're actually trying to put some pride back or whatever the situation is. Like they said all the right sound bites during the week about like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of passion for this jersey. You want to put things right. But when I actually came to it on Saturday, the only players that I would say were putting out all efforts throughout the 80 minutes was Adi Sevier, Bowden Barrett, Scott Barrett, Jordy Barrett, and Sam Whitelock. And um, I, I think I mentioned Adi Sevier. Anyone else? I don't want to hear it. Maybe Sam came to an extent, at least in terms of hitting rocks, but he's just ineffective. So that's probably just more of a talent thing. But anyone else, they maybe Takiyama as, as well. But pretty much that was the only the only people there. And that, that I think, is a big indictment and just shows that they either maybe don't back Foster as a coach or the culture is completely wrong, but a deep change needs to happen in, 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 in the New Zealand national rugby team because something's not right. And, I mean, never mind all the issues that they have as in the board as well. Jared, I think you were about to say something. No, no, I, I was just letting uh, letting you go over there. I think what you've said is 100% right. Um, I, I do think there was effort from guys like uh, Sam Whitelock and Sam Kane and that, but uh, effort is not enough for All Black uh, jersey. Like we set us, we set incredibly high standards for South Africa, and we set incredibly high expectations for the All Blacks, and none of them really rose to it. Um, also, they said that they defended our more quite well, like. There was the one more in the second half, early in the second half, where when Kwaka had come on and we broke straight through their more and made 20, 30 meters from a more. Like, yeah, that's, if you're saying that's good and saying it was their most improved performance and stuff like that, it's, that, it's just not good enough. It wasn't good enough when Alistair Kutsia said, oh no, he's, uh, there was a lot of positives to take away from that 50 points harding that we got. There's a lot of similarities you can draw between Boston now and Kutsia uh, before Rossi took over. So let's talk about possible changes for Saturday. We've just had breaking news as we're um, potting that Kato Moody has joined the Springboks squad. So he's coming in for Kirtley Aronson, who's been suspended for four weeks. So he's probably miss- he's missing at least every match up until the, the last match against Argentina. Kato Moody has joined the squad now. Probably won't be playing on Saturday, especially how early the Springboks want to settle the teams and all that sort of stuff. Um, Dwayne Formulum has been, I think, cleared to play on Saturday as well, so he's probably going to be joining the team. I'm not sure what the news is on after Clark, but one would assume he's probably out on Saturday. Sean, quickly, what what do, what changes do you think um, do you think will be made for Saturday? I so my big thing. I think obviously uh, Hendricks starts at nine, and I I would love to see Grant Williams. I think we have got enough going on for us that we can have Williams there, and we don't need a a, um, a super um, like a kicking nine. Um, so that's what 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 I would like to see, and. Obviously, on the right wing, we are going to have to make changes. So the option is going to be, um, does Jesse Creel start? Or do they move um, Kalant there or Willemse there and then start someone else at 15? So we do have quite a few options. I think um, with our current 15 situation with LaRue and Willemse 
starting and benching and kind of finding each other and working well with each other, that's going to be really hard to break up. And do you want to have Gelan starting on, on the wing? So there, there's that. Um, I, I still probably would go, would go and try um, and put Creel on the wing. But we very likely are going to be in a position where we're going to have an upper hand and we are going to be looking to spread it wide and we're going to want to dominate as much, if not more, than we did on Saturday. And then we'll probably be looking for an out-and-out finisher on the wing, which uh, Jesse Creel's a great player, but that's really not what, what he does. So then very likely we'll go for that. Um, but defensively, we will need the likes of Creel on the wing to fill that role because we've had Colby there dominating defensively and then Kirtley Arnsa came on. And the, the side of Kirtley Arnsa that I thought was probably not going to be as good was that defensive side. Like I thought he was going to absolutely handle himself. I didn't think he was going to go above and beyond the way he did um, is, is, is one thing. Um, Jesse Creel, good under the high ball. So is Galant. So is Willemse. So is, shit, worst case scenario, we're putting Lacanya I'm on the wing because he's played there before. So, but I don't think we'll start him. So yeah, that, those are the questions. And I can't quite answer it, but I would probably go with Creel uh, um, at 14 and I would keep everything else the same with Hendricks starting at nine. And then Dwayne off the bench? Oof, um, I would start Dwayne. Uh, I think... We got to, we're getting to a point now where we're looking at, well, it all depends on really on what sort of fitness Dwayne's at at the moment. But we've got to start looking at a point where um, Visa, um, Damien Delendi, um, who, who else? Pollard, or not really Pollard, but Lucanio um, um, Damien Willem said they've all played full seasons. Uh, Delendi actually did have a bit of an injury, but we've got to look at, we've got a bench guys. Now, Visa needs some time off the field, I believe. Like he, had a full season in the Premiership, won, won, won it. Um, he's been playing pretty much nonstop for the books as well. So probably a good time to give him a bit of a break and bring Dwayne back. And we want to have Dwayne back and fit. We want to see what he's like. So I would start him because you could probably manage him a little bit better by starting him. Okay, Jared, same question. Changes for Saturday? Yeah, uh, I think I, I agree with Sean. I think uh, you start Dwayne for Mielin. Um purely based on his fitness and if he's not 100% like after 20 minutes you can pull him and we know the Springboks aren't uh, scared of making those kinds of changes so I think you you start him um, I think Halant's going to start on the wing um, I, I would preferably go with uh, Jesse Creel but I think they're going to start Halant on the wing and um, I wouldn't be surprised that uh, Oxen Chair comes back into the starting lineup for Trevor um, and Trevor potentially moved um, to the bench um, in the place of Koch as a Tate so they can give him a, a go at Tate again. That's a little bit of my thinking. Um, also, it will be France Malherbe's uh, 50th test, so he will start. Um, but otherwise, I don't see any other changes. I'd go with um, Hendrickse as the starting nine, and then you can sort of just take your pick with the scrum halves. I think Reinach is um, also back, so you could get uh, Reinach in for the last 20 minutes. Um, so, yeah, there's options. Like I say, I think uh, Galant will start. I think Vermeulen will start. And I've, I've just got a funny feeling about Ox starting as well. I'm going to jump in. I, I, are you 100% sure that Reinach is fit and ready? Because I know that they cleared him but I believe that he's only available for the trip to Australia. 
I, I didn't see that, but I know that Montpellier cleared him and he's been back in South Africa. He was like over in France for like 24 hours. It was yeah, a very yeah. short trip and came back. He was there. So, when did he yeah, come back? So I, like he went over there, did the test and plumbed on a plane and came back to South Africa. It was like he was in the country for 24 hours max. No, but what I'm saying is when did he come back to South Africa? During the test week last week, I think. The oh. build up to the it, test week. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's that's big. I I yeah. I I would I would love to see Williams play, to be honest. But yeah, but Rana so, so definitely I. deserves deserves uh, another look in as well, especially coming off injury. I saw on Twitter someone said that apparently the plan is for Reinach to basically come back in the Australian test. So I assume Reinach will still probably just be given the week to just continue with like rehab and stuff like that and then yeah, so if Jaden is, I mean, if Fuff is out, then it's probably between Herschel and Grant Williams for number 21 or 22, probably in the Spurbox case. And yeah, I would also just like to say that I'd like Grant Williams to get the chance. Yeah, uh, the, the only other one that there's maybe a question over is uh, do we stick with Murat on the bench or are we going to bring Arik Lowe back in? Um, that's, a, that's another just random one out there. Um, I, I don't think there's much in between the two of them at the moment in the Springbok coaches' eyes. It's just uh, horses for courses kind of thing. I would assume if Dwayne is coming, either starting or off the bench, that he basically takes Murat's place. So either Dwayne comes to an eight, then it's um, Kwaka and Visa on the bench, because Dwayne will probably not be able to finish the game. He probably even gets subbed off at 30 minutes. And then um, Visa and Quaka cover um, the loose forwards, and then um, uh, Mostat would cover the locks. Yeah, and the, but you've also got Lowe who can play um, blindside lock and eight. So that, that was my thinking there with him taking Visa's oh, okay. place. Maybe yeah. they do a 7 1 split. <laughs> <laughs> that I, th- is I think you can do that. I think you can do that if you've got uh, Ches and Colby on the bench. Uh, you can play 9 to 15. <laughs> And Williams, and Williams, man's got yeah, Gaskin right. playing the back, playing play the back three. Probably couldn't play twelve, but I, I, I'd let him play at nine and and ten. Yeah. Worst case, um, I tell you, Tyler, you 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 make a joke about a seven-one split, but let's be very honest. If anyone is going to whip that out, it's going to be Jacques Nienaba or Eddie Jones. Nobody else has got the plums to do it. Yeah, Rossi and Jacques, I would put that together, <laughs> but. And and Checker can do something random every now and then, Sean. Checker's yeah. just I, learning how to swear in French, uh, in 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 Spanish. So he's <laughs> uh, he's focused on other things at the moment. Actually, a good transition point just to spend a few minutes um, talking about the Australia's uh, Australia's victory against Argentina. A very weird game, um, as um, Australia won forty-one points to twenty-six and got the bonus point at the end. I think the game was just summed up by that last like five minutes they went over um, over the the final hooter and Argentina and Australia both continued to play. Australia coming for a bonus point. Argentina, I guess, um, was still in the hunt for getting at least one bonus point from that, and they were just throwing the ball around and making mistakes, and then someone would then attack, and then they would make a mistake. So both teams, I think, are in a very interesting position where. They probably aren't disciplined enough to put an 80, um, 80 minute performance, but you know, when they put things together, they look really good. So, Sean, I think um, 
I think just from the Australian point of view, what they'll be happy with is, I mean, their rolling wall was fantastic. They got them like two or three of the tries, um, and the attacking, um, the 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 attacking um plan that they have, or the 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 phase play that they have is really good. And Nick White is just so good and so important. Um, I think Sean, you you posted on Twitter that Nick White is the second best scrum off in the world right now. Well, I said if you're picking a match, a world match day 23, Nick White and Dupont are your nines. So don't put words in my mouth. I think he's probably the best in the world at the moment, and that's only because we haven't seen Ooh. Dupont for a while. I, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, Nick White is incredible, and I tell you the 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 Wallabies to 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 lose um, Michael Hooper in the manner that they lost him was 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 a was a big thing and it's a kind of thing that that you as a team will probably sit back and and just really dive deep into have a quiet moment or a long moment but a quiet one and just think about what hoops has been doing what's been going on i mean he would have chatted with the team and did chat with the team and there would have been a lot of reflecting going on and that definitely um galvanized the side but they've still got to go out and not only lost their captain, but lost one of the best players in the world. And then to lose Quade Cooper um, in the game to a nasty injury is um, is something. And they, and then sorry, and the other the other part of it is to then fight back and come back from where they were, and how they were being bossed around in Argentina to win in the manner that they did is something quite crazy and it's the Springboks got exposed to that in Australia against Australia twice last year except the Aussies have now gone to Argentina and done it with a little bit more a few more issues to deal with so they are very very slowly they're they're building something the foundations are being set there they're struggling with injuries but they're pulling it together and uh, and they are, are again us playing Australia in Australia twice in the rugby championship in the next month is going to be a massive test for us, possibly bigger than the All Blacks. Yeah, I think let's dive into the Michael Hooper um, situation. So Michael Hooper, uh, it's announced by Rugby Australia that Michael Hooper is going back home. Um, he was with, he was actually selected for the Australian team um, to fa- to play on Saturday. He's selected as captain as always, but then it was announced the day before the test that Hooper's traveling back to Australia because. Yeah, some personal issues to deal with, and yeah, from sort of what has come out since the time, it seems like it's it is uh, mental, but it's also um, partly physical that he's been just carrying around injuries and and little niggles, and he's just in a space where he be, like he was quoted as saying in an interview a few months ago that it's really getting tough for him to wake up on a Sunday um, after a game that like his body's getting to that point where it's it's recovery is getting tough and. I mean, you can understand it. He's pretty much played rugby every Saturday for the last 10-plus years. So you can definitely understand if he's, you know, um, struggling both physically and, and, and mentally and just needs a little bit of a break from rugby. So I think, and I think, Jared, you said this on, on Twitter as well, that you can just see how much of a class act Michael Hooper is for just admitting that, you know, he has a problem and being able to sort of be um, wise enough in order to just step down um, from 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 playing rugby at the moment. Yeah, I I think it's a great call from him, and uh, 
yeah, taking a little break from it. And uh, I, I hope we haven't seen the last of Michael Hooper. I don't think uh, he's given up just a, a, that much just yet. And uh, yeah, it's it's. I think it's a lot of, a thing that a lot of the players struggle with. And kudos to him for picking up on it and acting on it. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have read um, Samuel Burton's book, but uh, Samuel Burton uh, was in tears and speaking to his mother before the third Lions test against the, the All Blacks. And uh, he was saying to his mother, no, he's getting an airplane now and he's leaving. And that's, an, that's your British and Irish Lions captain before the biggest test match of his life. Um, so, yeah, uh, luckily, I, I don't think it's, it's got to that point for Hooper. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. But uh, uh, fair play to him for um, identifying it and stepping away from it. And you sort of forget, especially with a player like him, like how bloody good he is that these folks are humans as well and the pressure that they've been put under, not just on the field, off the field with uh, media interactions and that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a tough business. Indeed. And then just in terms of what happens on the rugby field, Sean, yeah, it's a bit difficult for the Wallabies right now. They have lost Hooper, they've lost Karevi, they've lost Quaid Cooper in the space of a week. And I guess the players that are going to step in now are Hunt, excuse me, Hunter Pasami for, for Karevi, as we saw on Saturday. Probably Noel Lolisio plays at 10 for, um, for Cooper. And then Fraser McRide, who had a pretty good game, actually, um, especially on just one day's notice. Um, he will step in at, at, at 7. Um, it, it does put Australia in a bit of a difficult position for their preparation for the World Cup because, it's been, well, Hooper's a bit of an unknown at the moment, but Kravy and Cooper will probably only play perhaps um, next year, this time next year in the shortened rugby championship, if not in the warm-up games before the World Cup. And that's sort of on the best-case scenario. So now you've lost your probably your first choice 10 and 12 and you're trying to build up for the World Cup. So do you think... Um, the Wallabies should try and sort of either commit to like almost planning without those two um, that you possibly don't have them for the World Cup or maybe we'll get them maybe a few weeks into the World Cup or should they sort of put like maybe some stopgap options like someone like Reese Hodge or um, to an extent maybe you can also consider James O'Connor as a stopgap option so they can sort of keep the team going and not sort of risk some of the younger players in, in those positions. Yeah, it's. I think with Cooper, you you've kind of got to approach your tens and say this is a situation. It's unlikely he will return, um, and get them in that mindset because an Achilles injury is crazy. The with Karevi, you're you're kind of hoping and pretty confident that he'll make it back. The truth is that between the three of the guys we've mentioned. All three of them walk into the starting lineup, no questions asked by any of the players, any of the squad, if they do. And they will all very likely move in quite seamlessly because the environment that they've been playing under has allowed, well, Hooper aside, but Cooper and Karevi, the playing environment that they've been playing under has really, really um, like shown, uh, has helped them grow better and play as better players. So you've got to just fill those gaps and you've got to just basically say injuries are part of the are, are part of the situation. We've lost three vital players, like absolutely crazy in terms of what they offer, not even on the field. It's at training, off the field, experience, media, um, helping the youngsters through. Like 
they are massive, massive, massive role players in that squad um, for, uh, seven days a week, let alone the 80 minutes on Saturday. So th- that situation, you've just got to tell, tell the guys that are coming and this is what's happening. We're going to just really push it hard. You've got to come with a very, very clear picture and you're probably going to have to say, cool, this is, um, you know, Lolisio, you're starting at 10, barring any injury or anything. This is you now. So come to terms with the pressure and what's going on and we will pair you up with your best 12 and we will, we will take those steps forward from here. I, I think the one thing that uh, Australia can count themselves very lucky about is that they managed to get uh, Scott Wise-Mantle there from uh, England. I think he's probably the best attack coach in world rugby at the moment. Yes. And uh, to, to be, and it, losing guys like uh, Cooper, Karevi, uh, losing those two players in uh, would hurt so many test teams' attack like tremendously. Like you wouldn't be able to recover from that quickly. But with a guy like Wisemantle, he he's a very very sharp attack coach. Like I think they they very thankful that uh, they managed to get him away from England. Yeah, and. Just how their attacking structure looked on Saturday, you can see the influence of Scott Wisemantle, and yeah, he's definitely just yeah improved the Wallabies' attacking game plan because I think a year ago I, I remember tweeting that I don't know what the Wallabies are good at. Um, I think this was after they were getting beaten by the All Blacks, and you could see this past twelve months, which is I think Wisemantle only came into the job um, in 2021. But you can see the improvement in the attacking game plan. You can see how important and how they have just different running lines. And it'll be interesting how they go up against the Springboks because they do throw up different shapes for the Springboks. And yes, the Springboks will obviously hit the tackles, but they're patient as well. So they'll wait until something opens up. So yeah, I think if Lollisio's then, uh, as Sean said, if he's now backed to play pretty much the rest of the year, this is hopefully it'll be a good chance for Lolisio to grow as a as a fly hop because now he's got tests against Argentina, South Africa, New Zealand, France, I think Ireland as well in the next few months in order for him to test himself against the best of the best and to really grow his game. So hopefully by the end of this year, Lolisio is also in that like, you know, almost like Marcus Smith level after he played like the the whole of this season that he's comfortable at 10 and comfortable running a team at, at Flahov. And then just quickly on the Argentinian side, yeah, I think it's a match made in hell that Michael Checker and um, Argentina are together because you can just see some of the worst things about Checker, the best and the worst things about Checker and Argentina coming together, like the passion and the plans and some of the innovative play that you saw in the first try, especially, and that one try that um, Gonzalez scored during the game was brilliant, just that... Um, like basically whole field counterattack. But the discipline is such a problem. And I think that was one of the things that we said they need to work on in the last week's part of the preview. And yeah, I think um, Argentina will always have a problem with that. Jared, um, it was very surprising, even for Th- Thomas Lavanini, that he wasn't the recipient of a yellow card on Saturday. Yeah, that was bloody brilliant. I, I found that incredibly <laughs> enjoyable. Like, he, he even just started marching off the pitch. Like, okay, cool. Like, this has just happened. And Alamano just looked like, yeah, he was trying to stay away from the referee as much as possible. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a very enjoyable, very enjoyable. Much better than the commentary. Like, we were watching the game back. The commentary was 
Marcelo Bosch is a Los Pumas legend and a Saracens legend, but my word, keep a man away from a mark. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. I don't know, Sean, did you see all those tweets about the commentary? Mate, I was watching the game and it was, <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the end of the game when that final try went in and they were like, oh, we've got to check what's, where there was a forward pass. And no, um, that's definitely a forward pass. And then the score was given. The, then the whistle went and the TV panned out and they were converting the try. And he's like, oh, and uh, the try has been given and the conversion's over. And then he gave a score and it was the wrong score. And he's like, listen, and we just don't know what's going on here. <laughs> the commentator, I don't think it was Marcelo Bosch, whoever was on lead. But they were like, yeah, and, and he went through about three or four different scores. He's like, you know what? We just don't really know what's going on yet. Time to go. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Brilliant. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people, like everyone was quite harsh about it. And understandably so, because you like, if, especially in the UK, you're spending a lot of money to be on Sky to watch it in South Africa as well. But like they, they really could have got like English speaking guys to 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 cover the game like it really couldn't have been that difficult like that you could hear that that was like the main problem in in the whole commentary is that the guys were speaking a second language if i did it in afrikaans it would sound just as boring i promise you <laughs> or just maybe i think the easy solution would be okay keep bosch obviously as your expert but the lead should be like an english person but yeah maybe they could have also like worked out a deal with stan sport or something like that Gents, are we putting our name in the hat? I think I think we need. <laughs> I think we need the. Well, I, I probably I, I, not. We'll probably be doing it slightly delayed or for studio somewhere in in Cape Town or Joburg. But I think we can get the no, dirt track behind us. And push, I, push I, it I on. I want to go to the game. <laughs> so, so do I. I mean, it would be great. Maybe, <laughs> but we, the thing is, it, the, the South African game will the SuperSport will send uh, PSC and the guys. But for the next game, uh, Argentina versus uh, Australia, I think there's an opportunity there this Saturday. Just saying, just saying, but let's put our name in that. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw it out there. <laughs> Jared, Jared, you must do it in Afrikaans, though, as our Afrikaans um, analyst, okay? <laughs> Not a chance. I'll just, I'll just start, uh, look on your arm, look on your arm, and that's it. But, like, that, that, that'll be my commentary. Like, that, I think that will suffice. Look on your arm, look on your arm. Like... <laughs> Like uh, Matt Pierce just sa- shouting Vili LaRue when he, when he saw the ball there. Just Vili LaRue that is going to live with me. It was brilliant, yeah. that. Uh, listen, Jay, I'm so glad that you highlighted it on Twitter about PSD's commentary because the man is an absolute wizard. Like, he's incredible. But his commentary and, and how uh, I love it, how he lets the moment or the, or, or the rugby and the, and the stadium breathe. Like, you get to... Take it all in. He gives you what you need, but then you just get to enjoy it with everyone else, which is flipping world class. Yeah, the value in silence. Yeah, look, Jared, I'm sure your Afrikaans is better than your than um, Mike Adams in Spanish because constantly he was trying to show the Pumas players that you know he can speak the language. And <laughs> Gina Montoya was just insisting to speak in English the whole time to him. It was the most hilarious conversation ever. Mark Adamson probably would have had a better chance speaking to Montoya in Afrikaans. He, he <laughs> picks up a few things at lesser targets. <laughs> no, that's yeah, definitely... Sure. 
There's actually a no. group of Afrikaans people somewhere in South America, and I don't think it's in Argentina, but there's like like a couple of generations there. So he might have learned it there. It's probably. Yeah. Maybe Montoya is, yeah, like um, short for Miller or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but, gents, I think we can call it here. Um, we, yeah, I think we've had a, a good sort of comprehensive roundup of the first round of rugby championship games this week. We will hopefully record another pod, hopefully not alone, and hopefully not with an incorrect prediction of an All Blacks win um, on, on, on later on, late in the week once the two teams come out. You're lucky you were invited back. Invited. Sheesh, that's a little, that's not right. You're lucky you were allowed back, should I say? I mean, how very, the one and only person we've got representing rugby bits and he goes and picks New Zealand to win. Can you believe it? It worked, clearly, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, that's not what I, I've, 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 saved, I've saved all that, that the, the, the WhatsApp group conversation. You weren't trying it for reverse psychology. We know you. We aren't you. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll have a pod later this week and, and, and reacting to the two sides picked and then just sort of preview the game quickly and make predictions. And then, yeah, we will hopefully see you there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing this podcast. Thank you for the ratings. Thank you for subscriptions and, and the downloads. Please also visit um, our social media pages. Join our Dirt Trackers squad and you know, just interact with us on, on the Rugby Bits page. And also, please um, go and support the Ampeto Zero ZA, our main sponsors, and see what, what markets that they have for rugby and also other sports. Um, I'm sure you're aware that the Premier League is back, for example, and then you can just join in all the fun there. And thank you so much for listening. Sean, Jared, thank you as always for your expert analysis and your Afrikaans, um, Jared. And we will see you next time in the next Rugby Bits podcast. Mm-hmm.